of the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Nah, man, you see how good I look? Nothing signifies that more than a pinch hitter winning a the game. They shouldn't have played the old Golden Blue. Not this night. Yes, sir. Not no, this night. We don't pay attention to what happens, what goes on the outside. We just do our job. Welcome to Panhandle Sports Live, the premier home for all things sport in the Eastern Panhandle. He's across midfield. He's into the open field. Touchdown, Martinsburg. Towards the pylon. Touchdown, Washington. Hear from the coaches and players that make the Eastern Panhandle the place for sports in the state of West Virginia. This kid, he's got silver bullets. And it's a two-possession lead for the Appleman. Gets a high snap. Robinson trying to get to the outside. Makes a trick move. Gets to the inside. Keyshawn Robinson. Touchdown, Cougars. Be a part of the conversation on today's show by texting at 304-263-4321. The throw not in time. Hedgesville's going to Charleston. Gavin Young puts the drive up 9-63-54. The Spring Mills Cardinals, 18-0 to finish the regular season. Now, live from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in historic Martinsburg. Get your popcorn ready. Panhandle Sports Live is on the air. And it is Panhandle Sports Live for the second day of November 2023. I'm Luke Wiggs, Parker Stone, hanging out in the Hoppy Kerchival Building, the place for nonstop sports talk from a Panhandle point of view. Happening over the next couple of minutes or so, we'll take you all the way to the top of the hour. Parker Stone... We start this show on a heavy note, and of course, we found out yesterday, and it was interesting to listen to the statewide sports line uh, when they talked about, unfortunately, uh, longtime great with over 900 wins, multiple championships at Indiana College basketball coach Bobby Knight had passed away. Uh, so our hearts, of course, are heavy this morning. Uh, but with that being said, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. I'm doing very good. We were winners last night, and some of the picks we made in the NBA and also in the MLB with the Rangers winning the World Series last night. We, we were winners in that case. We were able to take home some of the winner's purse, so that was always fun. But overall, really solid night, just hanging out and getting ready for another Thursday filled with a lot of going on. Well, uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier this week about the sports equinox, of course, uh, with the four major sports. Make it five if you count the MLS, all kind of represented on the same day. We're getting very close to some kind of a, a version of the high school sports equinox because we've got a lot of really important action that's happening on today. The state soccer semifinals for both boys and girls will be today. Uh, number three, Spring Mills in the tournament of four teams. Spring Mills is the only team that went down to the state tournament that did not have a loss. Spring Mills also has given up the fewest goals of the four teams represented in the state tournament, and yet the Cardinals are the number three seed. They take on Hurricane. That game will be at 7.30 tonight. And then we have an earlier one in the girls' side of things. Hedgesville, they're 12-4-1. They take on 15-1-2 Morgantown. That game's going to kick off here in about two hours at 10 o'clock in the morning. So we're going to be keeping you updated on those games. We'll talk about them tomorrow and recap them, but we'll also be tweeting out updates on our Twitter page, at EP Sports Network. That's very going to be very exciting. We've got the marquee volleyball matchup once again tonight in a sectional championship. Uh, Hedgesville is taking on Musselman, and we talked about that a little bit uh, earlier this week. Hedgesville narrowly escaping Spring Mills in the first round of the section um, at where as Musselman was able to sweep Martinsburg. Those two teams match up. Most likely both will still be heading down to Charleston regardless, but it puts you in a much better situation if you're able to win your section and give yourself a little bit better seating, a little bit easier 
being able to host in the region uh, before you go down to Charleston and play in the state tournament. And as always, high school football coming up on a Friday night. We've got one of the most important games in the state. If you listen to High School Sports Line last night, Joe Bricado, Dave Jacklin, Fred Persinger were highlighting, ironically, two games that we talked about uh, in that GW game and, of course, Musselman and Parkersburg, which we're going to be broadcasting tomorrow night with pregame coverage beginning at 645. It's win and get in for the Parkersburg-Musselman winner. The loser's going to need some outside help, specifically GW beating Woodrow Wilson. But that's where we're at. We've got nail-biting sports wherever you look, from girls and boys soccer to girls volleyball and high school football as well. And it's all going to come down the line in the next 48 hours. Uh, this is what it's all about right here. It's crunch time for fall sports. It is going to put the bow on this year's 2023 season and no better way to bring it to a full closure than all of these conclusions happening at one time. The soccer runs have been crazy. Multiple double overtime, triple overtime, and penalty shootout games so far in our sectionals and regional play as we get to the closer to the state tournament. Volleyball, we have what could be yet again another preview of what could be a state championship game in Musselman and Hedgesville coming up. That's always a classic. Always just big matchups between those two. Hedgesville maybe dominated Musselman to an extent that people were very shocked with that one. But again, we had the storyline earlier this week that Hedgesville almost had a major upset in losing a spring Mills. That game was a lot closer for wear than what the Eagles wanted. So now they got to go and try and prove that they can win a state championship and try and go against a Musselman team that, again, is still playing really good on the volleyball side and on the football side. Like you mentioned, that that Musselman-Parkersburg game, a lot is on the table for that contest. The winner controls their way into the playoffs, avoids playing Cabell Midland predictably in round one, and will play probably the number two or number three seed coming into the playoff time. The loser has their playoff hopes in the air and have to wait till results and the final rankings come out from the WVSSAC to see if they're in. So it's what it's all about. Play your way in, fight for the playoffs. This this is the, what the conclusion of the fall sports season is really all about, and I'm really excited to see these conclusions. Well, you can text us 304-263-4321. We've got a lot of teams from the Eastern Panhandle poised to try to go on runs to win state championships. Excuse me. So let us know who do you think is most likely to carry home some hardware? Is it going to be one of the soccer teams, Hedgesville on the girls' side, Spring Mills on the boys' side? Uh, is it going to be Musselman or Hedgesville in volleyball or, you know, a different team out in this portion of the state that you think could win a state championship? Or who is your favorite from the Eastern Panhandle to make a run and uh, win a championship in high school football? You know, the easy answer is Martinsburg, but as a texture pointed out yesterday, he's not happy with the way they're playing offensively. Is Martinsburg in a position even to compete for a state championship if they have to go up against Huntington and Hurricane and Cavill Midland and other potential EPAC teams that have given them tough games and they rematch in the playoffs in their quest to win a state title? Again, you can text this 304-263-4321. Spending a little bit more time on our high school football matchup tomorrow. We've got a break to take here in just a moment. We've got a really interesting guest to talk to today uh, when we talk about what's going to be a really important college football game this Saturday between Shepard and East Stroudsburg. Uh, But again, high school football, we're going to have play-by-play of. And those games I mentioned that are happening today, you can find coverage. We're going to be keeping up to date with them on our Twitter page or X page at EP Sports Network, but you will be able to hear the live broadcast tomorrow of Musselman and Parkersburg. 6.45, our pregame will start. That game will kick off at 7 o'clock. It was a frigid morning today, and I'm curious what it's going to be as I try to very quickly pull up the weather for tomorrow. 
Uh, temperature's going to get up into the 60s. So fr- uh, it's not going to be as frigid. When the game ends, it's going to be about 45 degrees. But we talked about this extensively. This is the first time that Parkersburg is going to be playing on natural gla- gas. Or gas. That's twice I've said that, grass. And uh, it's the last time that Musselman's going to be playing on natural grass on their home field in Denny Price Stadium. So, you know, as we talk about this game from a geographical standpoint, is there a chance that there is a grass advantage for the Alphabet on Friday? I'll give you a break. It's cold outside. You wish you had some natural gas to warm me up a little bit. But I, I think... also just realized you're wearing a Raider t-shirt. I am, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's the... Uh, I bought this, I think, when... I think it was like in either late high school or like early college. One of the two. <laughs> it's it's a Khalil Mack Raiders shirt. Uh, Raiders uh shirt. Just a another one that got that. away. Yeah, but for the grass sake, I mean, I think this is always a little overblown when we have conversations about football. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit of a difference, but how much of a difference is a play service? This. I'll tell you this. Um, people that might remember this, uh, the greatest show on turf, St. Louis Rams, the year after they won the Super Bowl. Their first four games of the season, the year after, with Kurt Warner and the boys, uh, they were on pace. So you look at uh, their projections of the first four games of the season to have the best offense in the history of the NFL and records that would still stand to this day. Four games on uh, artificial turf. Their fifth game was against San Francisco. The 49ers played on grass. That was the game that Kurt Warner broke his thumb. And uh, I believe they turned to Mark Bulger. I have to go back and look at the stats. And it derailed that season. So it has happened in the past. There is a precedent, but continue. Yeah, I mean, it's you always have that concern, I guess. I mean, it's I, it's not one of the biggest. It's not like your star running back is out of this game because he twisted his ankle. It's it's more of the playing surface in general. I I think it's just one of those things in sports we just kind of overblow a little bit. I mean. The difference between grass and turf, main one is just that it the ground is going to be more solid than what turf is. Turf, you got a little bit of a bounce on it with how the turf works. The uh, the grass, it's more stable and there. But again, I, I think it's one of those conversations we have. It gets sometimes a little overblown, maybe people overanalyzing a situation. I, I think it's just going to come down to two teams between Musselman and Parkersburg, two teams that have had very interesting seasons, two teams that have had mid-season collapses. I think we could comfortably say that at points this season, and teams that are trying to rally back and get some momentum before they have to go on a road in a tough playoff matchup in round one. It comes down to that in these two teams. Someone's going to need it more on Friday between these two. Musselman being at home with it being, again, we mentioned the last grass game at Musselman High School at Denny Price Stadium. It's it's going to be a lot of momentum for the Appleman. It's a Parkersburg offense that could put up a lot of points. It's a Musselman defense we think is one of the better ones in the state. It's the matchups there, and I think it all comes down to if Musselman's offense clicks, then I think the Appleman have a good shot of pulling this one out. I really do. All right, there you have it, the words from Ball Nowhere, Parker Stone. That game will kick off at 6.45 tomorrow. I'm sorry, pregame will begin at 6.45 tomorrow. We'll kick it off at 7 o'clock. Stay tuned. Coming up, we're going to hear from Chuck Cease, the voice of East Stroudsburg football, as we get you set up for a college football matchup that is going to potentially decide Shepherd's season on Saturday. That comes your way on the other side of this break. You're listening to Panhandle Sports Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. You're listening to Panhandle Sports Live. Want to join the conversation? Tweet your thoughts on today's show at EP Sports Network. 
Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. Again, you can text us 304-263-4321. Excited to hear from our listeners today. What Eastern Panhandle team do you think has the best shot of claiming a state championship in their respective sport? Is it Spring Mills or Hedgesville on the soccer side of things? Hedgesville or Musselman in volleyball? Martinsburg for football? As uh, the fall sports kind of start to wind down, please let us know on our text line. Coming up this Saturday over on 95.9 The Big Dog with a noon kick, Shepard will be taking on East Stroudsburg. And this is an important game that we highlighted to start the season. It becomes even more important now that Shepard has lost their second game of the season. Coming up after these comments, we'll hear from Parker Stone again, who believes that Shepard has a chance to avoid a loss and still make the playoffs. i got to be honest, I'm not so sure we're going to have to wait and see. Um, but the easiest thing that Shepard can do is win their two remaining games and control their destiny if they want to head into the postseason. And that starts with trying to go toe-to-toe and beating the East Stroudsburg Warriors. Their record is 8-1 and one on the season. Chuck Cease calls their games. He is the 25-year-long voice of East Stroudsburg football. We had a conversation with him yesterday previewing the game, and here's how it sounded. Let's start by just kind of looking at the season from a broad picture. An 8-1 and one record for the Warriors. You know, very battle-tested. We were just talking about how tough the defenses has been in the PSAC this year. Uh, the Kutztown is the lone loss, of course, a, a familiar loss with Shepard as well. Uh, but this is a team that's gone through a lot of adversity. Chuck, can you kind of just give us the the broad spectrum of the nine games East Stroudsburg has played so far? Well, you kind of knew that with the roster that they had, that they were going to have depth. Um, we just didn't think that it was going to be as de- as deep as they are. And I mean, you look everywhere in every room. If you want to, you know, break down your positions and put positions in a single room. The quarterback room is four deep. The running back room is four or five deep. The wide receiver room might be ten deep. The tight end room is four deep. And then you go to the defense, and they've got six defensive linemen that can rotate in. They've got four or five linebackers that really make good impact plays. I think the secondary might be the the biggest question for the Warriors, but they had three interceptions last week against Shippensburg, so I'm not going to question a secondary that has three uh, interceptions coming from the uh, you know a week, including a pick six. So they're deep everywhere, and that's the thing that has really shown throughout the season. The pace game, 62 to nine. I think we jumped on pace a little bit, kind of in a payback for what they did to us last year. They jumped on us and got out to a 14 nothing lead pretty quick last year. IUP, well, they've just struggled with special teams all season, and that was the thing that was with their Achilles heel in that game. Seton Hill, 55 to 21. They did not bring this the defense that we saw last year into this year's matchup. Lock Haven was an improved team this year because of the transfers that they brought in. Coach Dan Mulrooney has done a nice job in putting together a mix of transfers and what he had remaining from last year's squad. Kutztown, well, they don't have Jerry Cap anymore because he was playing for the Jets in the NFL preseason, but they are still loaded and probably the, the most solid team, uh, you know, apart from ESU. Millersville, Robert Footman did not have the same game that he had last year, and I don't know whether he's... I don't know whether he's taken a step back, but it certainly didn't appear to me that he's taken a step forward at the quarterback position. And you could say the same thing about Jordan Cooper of Westchester. When the Warriors defeated him 28-14 to this season, they really did a good job of containing him and making his running game ineffective to the point where they had to bring in the backup quarterback to run a few series. Against Bloomsburg, I didn't think the Huskies would do much offensively against ESU, and they really didn't. What surprised me is that they held ESU to 21 points. And then the game Shippensburg last week, I think the Warriors, again, kind of hit on all offensive cylinders when you have Charlie McKee come in off the bench and throw a touchdown pass. Uh, Aaron Tobias was throwing touchdown passes. 
And, you know, the Warriors are as deep as they ever been, and I think that's been a key to their success. They've had 11 different guys catch touchdown passes this year. I had to go back in the record. I did go back in the record books in at least 30 years, and I can't find a number that's that, that's really uh, anywhere near that. Well, I mean, I guess in uh, in 2020, I think they had 10 guys, and, and a couple of years ago they had nine guys catch passes. But to have 11 different guys catch touchdown passes means that you've got playmakers all over the field, and you just don't know who to cover. Well, in terms of how this this team has been winning football games, uh, was it uh, you know we talked about the issues at quarterback and, and cycling in different guys all that have played well, and obviously that wasn't predictable. But with the balance that you've seen on offenses as a top three offense, a top three defense, uh, as much as they get after the quarterback defensively, the balanced attack on offense and the pressure they've gotten from defense is that how at the beginning of the season you envision East Stroudsburg winning football games. Well, again, we didn't know what to make, what to think because they'd lost some some starting players from last season. I think a couple of wide receivers like Ezekiel Lopez and Clifford Brinkley that weren't there, so we weren't sure who was. We knew who the the big playmakers were that that came back with the team, like John Stiggins, but we didn't expect them to be so deep at the tight end spot. And Jonathan Post is a kid that goes out and has six catches this year. Four of them are for touchdown passes. Uh, Dawson Stewart, who's a tight end. He's an interesting story. He started as a quarterback at ESU. A couple of years ago, he had an injury, and they, or I should say there were injuries to the wide receiver room, and they made him a wide receiver when after they had moved him from quarterback to tight end. Now he goes back to tight end this year, and he threw a touchdown pass on a gimmick play. So uh, you know, he's just, his is just a great story, a kid that makes a sacrifice to go play in another position so that his team can be successful. And, and you know, he's typical of what ESU has. Um, you, you, and anywhere on their roster, you find guys like that that are willing to make sacrifices. And I think that's another key to why they're so successful. Yeah, Chuck, to over seven guys on this East Stroudsburg team, 100 yards receiving or more. I want to go to the rushing game now because it seems to be that might be the the steam that runs the engine for the Warriors, if you will. Tyreek Lewis is a top six rusher in the conference right now in the PSAC. He's averaging 75 yards a contest, and he's got a pretty dang good backup behind him and Tahir Mills, who's averaging around 60 yards a game. Is that really what moves the East Stroudsburg offense is the running game between Lewis and Mills? Well, it's, I would say yes and no. I mean, the ESU has always been a passing offense, but 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 they've never had this depth at running back. So to have this depth is a luxury. And what they're doing now is they really are grinding teams down because in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, you can bring in a guy like Mason Peterson who may not play a lot in the first quarter, or then you've got Deontay Crawford. There's another guy that doesn't play a lot in the first half of games, but they'll come in in the second half and have fresh legs. So these guys have four guys that can come in. You know, sometimes we look at series and we'll say, okay, this is Tyreek series. The next one's probably going to be Tub Mills. The third one's probably going to go to Mason Peterson. And that's kind of the way it's worked out. But it's allowed them to develop their running game. It's allowed them to open up the passing game with play action. Well, speaking of that passing game, just to cover our bases, because we're not sure who's going to be the quarterback for the Warriors, and you might not be very sure either. For McTaggart, McKee, and Tobias, I mean, are they similar in terms of their style of play, or do they each bring something unique to the offense? Uh, again, a little bit of both. Uh, they All three of them have shown, probably not Aaron Tobias as much as McTaggart and, and uh, Chuck McKee, they don't hesitate to run the football. Now, last year, ESU had a quarterback 6'4", 230, and Jake Cirillo. 
and he could knock over a safety and even and even sometimes knock over a linebacker if he had a head of steam going. Those they aren't these guys. They aren't that guy, but they run like him. And when you see McTaggart take off and find a lane uh, in the Westchester game and run for a touchdown, Chuck McKee ran for a 69-yard touchdown. That wasn't the one that he got hurt on. He got hurt on another touchdown run. So the quarterbacks take advantage of the opportunities that the defensive line has been giving them. If I had to pick the best passer on the team, it might be Charlie McKee. But if I had to pick the best quarterback on the team, I, it, it, I'd be tough. It, it'd be tough to make the decision between McFaggart, Tobias, and McKee because they all do everything that you need a quarterback to do. Well, moving on now to the defense now, Chuck. It's been an impressive one. They're a top three unit in the conference right now. They've been putting a lot of pressure on quarterbacks as well as they've had some of the biggest sack getters in the conference this season, that being looking down the roster line, Deshaun Dixon, who's had a really big year with six sacks as well as someone who was a member of that elite 100 team is I'm trying to find his name right now. I don't know. John McCarthy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. McCarthy. It was an elite 100 preseason selection as well. Uh, talk about the defensive line and what they've brought to the table this season and how this defense has really stepped up and have become one of the premier defenses in the PSAC. Well, it's, it's three words and it's stop the run. I don't know if you've looked at the statistics from the last couple of weeks, but three weeks in a row, the Warriors have allowed 60 yards or less running the football. So that means the teams now become one dimensional. They have to throw the football and that just allows Deshaun McCarthy, Deshaun Dixon, Matt Davis, Ryan Heber, Serge Belazor, all to make plays in that front seven for the Warriors. And then you got guys like Jameer Crumpton in the back, TJ Harris in the back, that are snagging passes and, and interceptions. Uh, we've had two pick sixes this year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, well, so they're, yeah. they're doing it all over the field. Absolutely. Well, in, in terms of how this game is being void from an East Stroudsburg perspective, I mean, speaking from the Shepherd perspective, they're another loss away from getting knocked out of the postseason. You can make the argument that with a head-to-head loss to Shepherd, East Stroudsburg might be in a similar situation. I mean, kind of in, in what perspective is this game being viewed as they take the field on Saturday? Well, Jimmy Terwilliger has them locked in on one game at a time, so they won't be thinking about Week 11 yet. Uh, outside of the locker room, I think most people think that if they win one of their next two, uh, that would finish them at 9-2. and two. And generally speaking, 9-2 and two teams have a much better chance of going to the playoffs than an 8-3 and three team. So, <laughs> you know, again, from the outside perspective, I think most people are thinking one of two. I think the Warriors are thinking they have every reason to think they can run the table. Absolutely. Well, uh, the last question is always a tough question to ask uh, uh, somebody up from the opposite sideline. But um, when it comes to exploiting weaknesses in this East Stroudsburg offense and defense, you know, it's still a high octane Ernie McCook Shepard offense. They like to throw the ball a lot. Their rushing attack has that big playability and defensively they're so athletic and so speedy and have had their takeaways of their own. If you were to pinpoint what you're willing to say on the air weaknesses from this uh, Warriors offense and defense, what would it be? I think the, the, the one thing the Warriors have shown this year is the, uh, the defensive lines against EFU, ESU have had the opportunity to get sacks. I think the Warriors are second in terms of sacks allowed, and that's on the bad side. They've given up the second most amount of sacks um, this season, if I'm not mistaken. So that's one thing that I think most teams would be, uh, would, would be concerned about. And, and from a Shepherd perspective, I think that's where they've got to begin. They've got to begin by trying to get pressure um, on the quarterback. 
So, you know, we have two tackles, and Guy Gilliard on one side, he's the 410-pounder that you can't miss. Um, on the other side, Tim Kinney, and Jimmy Terwilliger has mentioned to me more than one time in our, in our pregame and in sometimes our postgame interviews that the Warriors are only going to be as good as those two tackles are. So Kinney and Gilliard are the keys to the Warriors' success on the offensive line. If they're not in there because of injury or other situations, and that has been a problem this year, uh, that might be where the Warriors are vulnerable. That's Chuck Cease, who's the play-by-play voice of East Stroudsburg. Interesting conversation we were having while that interview was playing. Yeah, Parker Stone, of, full of a couple of hot takes today, he says that East Stroudsburg hasn't really played anybody yet. So expand on that. Well, I mean, if you look well, at the this, word you used was fraud, right? Uh, that That is the word that I used when we were off the air. I said East Stroudsburg kind of is on fraud watch right now because, again, you look at the Warriors' schedule, who have they played besides Kutztown is the question. Well, you can easily clap back and say, well, the Rams lost to Bloomsburg and they're a nobody and they handled Bloomsburg, and I understand that. I attribute that to more to Shepard just laying an egg in that contest. It was just everything that could have went wrong for Shepard went wrong in that contest, and I count that as an outlier in a very awkward situation. But again, for the Warriors, who have they played? Their quality win, if you want to call it, was against IUP, and now we know IUP are massive frauds. When They, they beat them when they were a ranked team in the top 15 in the nation, and they beat them in that contest. Now we know IUP is not any good. You go down the list. Pace was a blowout. Pace has been awful this year. Seton Hill has been great. Lockhaven, to their credit, on the rise, but still. Middle of the pack team. Lost to Kutztown. 38-17 against Millersville. Okay, Millersville's decent, but again, not a great strength win. They They only beat Westchester by two touchdowns, and we saw what the Rams did to Westchester. And then Bloomsburg, again, Bloomsburg only lost East Stroudsburg by six points. It was a 21 to six or five points. 21 to 16 was the final in that one. So it's, it's right there. And then they beat Shippensburg last week pretty handedly. So it's, there's things that I think favor Shepard a lot in this matchup. It is a long road trip from East Stroudsburg to Shepard. The Rams get this game at home. They have a team that is going to be refocused and mad after laying an egg against Bloomsburg. I hope so. Coach Cater, this is his send-off for the College Football Hall of Fame this weekend. There is a lot going right on Shepard's way, and they are prepping this up as a big game for a lot of big reasons. And it is a humongous game, because if Shepard loses this game, it, they're going to have to have a lot of dominoes fall in Super Region 1 for them to cling on and get to the 7 seed. A lot of stuff's got to happen, and we can we can dig deeper into that tonight on the Coach McCook show, we can talk about that and the dominoes that maybe need to fall for Shepard to get in as a three-loss team because there's a lot of stuff that's got to happen. But I think this is a weekend where Shepard puts it together against a high-quality – and I'm not saying they're they're a bad team. They're 8-1. They're obviously a good team. This is the best start they've had since 1992. This is a good team. And if they're able to beat East Stroudsburg, it confirms they are in that echelon right behind Slippery Rock. And, I mean, I get, I think this team's better than Kutztown, personally. I just think Kutztown had a really good day, and they've had a lot of points. They've been riding on the edge of a lightning bolt, and they're bound to crash at some point. It's Kutztown. So, that's my two-piece. If Shepard puts it together, it proves what I've known, that this team is one of the best in Super Region 1, and they'll be able to host in the first round if they went out. 
Speaking of the Ernie McCook Show, we'll have that tonight on uh, on 95.9 The Big Dog beginning at 7.30. You're not going to want to miss, well, you don't want to miss any ever edition of The McCook Show, but especially tonight uh, because we are endeavoring and we believe that we are going to be joined by uh, soon to be elected into the Hall of Fame, former Rams head football coach Monty Cater stopping by. Uh, so you're not gonna, not going to want to miss that tonight uh, live from Captain Bender's Tavern. Another break to take when we return. A World Series champion was crowned. There are just five Major League Baseball teams left that have not won a championship. Who's going to be the next team to do so? And WVU football has had their schedule released for the next couple of seasons. We'll react to that as well as you're listening to Panhandle Sports Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. Mix up your sports coverage with Panhandle Sports Live. Heard on the Panhandle News Network. Man, the board's just betraying me this morning. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone hanging out with you here in studio. Uh, As you could have heard it last night here on ESPN Radio, which of course we're affiliate of, the Rangers claiming their first ever World Series title after over 50 years as a program. Here's how it sounded with John Shambi. They call him Boog on the call last night. Texas Rangers, for the first time ever, are World Series champs. And the celebration begins third base side of the mound. The dog pile as they jump up and down out of the dugout, out from the bullpen in right field. The Rangers celebrate. The Texas Rangers are World Series champs. Five to nothing was the final score, and the first run scored and was driven in by Mitch Garver. The 0-1. Swing and a ground ball. Base hit into center field. Seeger in to score. Carter is going to be stopped at third as the throw is cut off by Christian Walker. It's an RBI single for Mitch Garver, and the Rangers here in the seventh have taken a 1-0 lead. It was extended in the ninth because of a miscue in the outfield by Arizona. And the pitch. Swing and a ground ball. Base hit out of the right center field. Here comes Young around third. Beasley's going to send him. It goes under the glove of Thomas. It's going to roll all the way to the wall. Racing around to score is low. Stopping at third is Heim. Oh, disaster for the Diamondbacks. And now it is 3-0 Texas. And then a Marcus Simeon two-run home run put the game on ice. The pitch. Swing and a high fly ball. Well struck. Left field. That one back on its way. And it's gone. Home run. Marcus Simeon. And that might be the putaway shot. Simeon a two-run blast, and it is 5-0 Texas. So Bruce Brochie at this point has solidified himself as one of the best managers in baseball history. Came out of retirement to coach this team, the way that this organization was put together. You know, people will talk about, well, buying yourself a championship. Well, the Yankees haven't done that since 2009. The Dodgers have struggled to do that. The Braves have struggled to do that. The list goes on. The Padres haven't come anywhere close. This was a really well-put-together season for the Rangers when they went out and made some key moves at the deadline as well on top of the money that they already spent, and it ends with them winning a world championship. A little bit underwhelming, i got to say, especially for us here in the Eastern time zone because I don't know a lot of Ranger fans other than George Bush. So, But still, they were happy. Creed was happy as they announced their reunion tour, by the way. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, and the Rangers are now... Uh, one of the teams to have won a world championship, leaving just five remaining. So 
heck of a season there by the boys down in Texas. Absolutely. So, and at, there were some movements down and forth. There was a really competitive AL West. We talked about that as the season wrapped up between Texas, uh, Houston, and Seattle. Those three were duking it out for the West. It came down to two AL West teams in the ALCS. The Rangers end up handling the Astros. And it's a series where Texas dominates at the point of attack. And it, again, it goes down to Marcus Simeon, a guy who they signed in a big contract leaving Toronto. Corey Seager, they paid him a lot of money to leave the Dodgers where he was comfortable, a core piece of that organization, and a former World Series MVP. They bring him in. You got uh, Adelis Garcia, who they've had in that system for a while now. He has a key contributor. Drafting as well. I mean, we got to point out to Josh Young. He's been one of the best rookies in baseball, and I feel like he hasn't been talked about enough in that same tier as guys like Gunnar Henderson, like the guys that have been high-profile producers in the rookie class this year. It's been fantastic. Masataka Yoshida is another guy that a lot of people really like, but Josh Young is really in that conversation. Jonah Heim had a career year this year. Nathaniel Lowe has been a consistent bat. And then you go down the list. Nathan Uvaldi was a crucial signing for this team. He was a really great pitching signing, uh, dealing for Max Scherzer at the deadline, although he had his moments where he got hurt and he's had touched up. Dealing for a pitcher that's been in that moment, I think, is really important. Dealing for a role as Chapman at the deadline and playing to your strength as a team that's good on their offense and trying to get their starting pitching going. And that's exactly how they won this World Series. Nathan Uvaldi goes six innings, only allows four hits. And he's been one of the key pieces of this team and the stat for you fun stat i dug up before we dug into this conversation Corey seager won world series mvp he is now one of only four people in major league baseball history to be a two-time world series mvp the others sandy koufax bob gibson as well as mr october reggie jackson and Corey seager and reggie jackson i believe are the only two people to do it for both the national league and an american league team. that's correct so there you go so five remaining teams have not claimed a world series title uh do you want to take a run and guess all five uh, one is the Brewers. That is correct. I saw that. Is there? There's the Rays. Yes. Then there is the Mariners. Yes. And then there is the two National League teams. Two National Leagues. So Cubs have. Um, Unfortunately, you can let us know on the text line. Help Parker Stone out. Who are the two remaining National League teams uh, to not win a World Series? I'll I'll let you sit on it here for just a couple of seconds. But you're right. You know, you look up and down this Ranger roster before we turn back to that conversation. Texas 304-263-4321. Hurry. Who are the two National League teams who have not won a World Series? Um, you look that up and down the roster, and you're right. They they went out and they drafted Josh Young or Young, excuse me. I called him Young when I did his games in college, and Evan Carter and Sam Huff and pieces in this bullpen. But a lot of this was done through free agency. A lot of this was done through really tactful deals, trading for Nathaniel Lowe, signing Simeon and Seager, like you mentioned, as free agents, or just getting Adolis Garcia for free because the Cardinals dropped him for no reason, who, by the way, missed the last two games of the World Series, and their offense didn't skip a beat, which is just a remarkable thing to think about. Giving you more time to think about it, and the text line just completely hung you out to dry. You have any guesses to no, who, who the two it. national teams are? I, I'm trying to dig it up right now. I'm going through my head. Okay, here's this, here's that. Um, They're in the same division. The same division. So mm-hmm. that, okay, that, that's easy. Then you just made it easy. They're, the Padres are one. Yep. And then the, uh, gosh, oh, why am I blanking? It's not the Giants. It's not the Mm-mm. not the Diamondbacks, not Mm-mm. the Dodgers. Why, why? Who's the other team in that division? Why am I blanking right now? <laughs> oh, the Rockies, the Rockies. It is the Colorado Rockies. So, but the question before we got to talk a little WV football because I want to talk about their schedule. Those teams again are the Brewers, the Padres, the Mariners, the Rockies, the Tampa Bay Rays. Who's the next team to win a championship out of those five? 
Well, I, I think if there's any one of them that would do it, if they're able to put their heads on straight and actually play some baseball as the San Diego Padres. I mean, there's there's just too much raw, too much talent on that team right now between Soto, Tatis, uh, Xander Bogarts. The pitching staff's really good over that way. If they can get it together and not have to take loans out to pay their players. I, I had to t- yeah, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up. We found out yesterday while the World Series was going on that they had taken out a $50 million loan in September to pay players. But continue. It's. I think it boils down to them and the Tampa Bay Rays or the two that I look at. If I was going to go Mariners. I don't, you know, I don't like that. I like that shout too. I mean, they have a really good roster. Does I mean, you look at their rotation. Luis Castillo is 30, you know, and Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, and Bryce Miller are all under the age of 27. You know, this core is good and they're going to be good for a while. Julio Rodriguez is what, 22, 23? Yeah, he's, you, you know, know, I mean, you, they've got uh, Jared Kelnick. I mean, at some point he's going to start playing at a high level because he's too talented not to. Uh, but anyways, uh, I think they're all quality choices with the exception of Colorado. I would say that, and I, I need to look and see because World Series odds have already been released for next season uh, and the Braves or uh, the, the favorites. Uh, but I would say that four of those five teams, all due respect to Colorado and uh, soon-to-be Gold Glove winner Brenton Doyle, um, but they all have a pretty solid shot. I mean, the baseball place or postseason is uh, it's just so kind of open and out there. Let's see if we can find World Series odds for 2024. Who who would you say, with the exception of the Braves, is your is your way too early uh, postseason uh, World Series favorite for next year? I first of all, I will say this right now. Do not bet on the World Series right now. Please don't do that. We we we've seen we saw how hectic it was at the end of the regular season, not even as we go towards now. I mean, if you ask me today, I think some of the better teams out there Nobody knows. I mean, I mean they're gonna it's, have an it's, it's I mean, you have the Dodgers who are good, you have You wanna uh, take a swing as to who odds makers say has the least highest odds to win a World Series next year? It's two teams tied for last. The two teams tied for last. Um, are the Pirates there? No, the Pirates actually have sixty to one odds. That's not bad for Pittsburgh. Cardinals um, have fifty to one odds. What is this organization? What has happened to the game I love? Um, it's the Athletics and the Rockies. Oh, that we makes were running sense. Out of time. So that the top five teams in terms of odds get makers to win the World Series next year are the Braves, the Dodgers, the Astros, the Rangers, and the Phillies. Man, Arizona is way down on this list. Let me see if I can. They're in double digits. I think they're like the 11th or 12th best odds to How get deep back the to the World Series. The Orioles are, stand by, ninth, 16 to 1 odds. Okay. They have better bad. odds than the Padres, the Mariners, the Diamondbacks, the Mets. Man. <laughs> well, there you have it. All right, before we take a break, WV Football released their schedule uh, for the next couple of seasons um, because, of course, you're adding the new teams, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah coming to the Big 12. Um, so we get an early advanced look at the Mountaineer schedule from 2024 till 2027. Their road games next season are Arizona, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, and Cincinnati, and they have five home games. So basically it's going to work out to where, as same as, the, as it has, has been in the Big 12, five home games one season, four home games the next. So we had wondered whether or not they were going to travel to an Arizona or an Arizona State every year. There's a long trip that WVU is going to make every season. So year one, it's Arizona. That's 2024. In 2025, it's Arizona State, and they're going out to uh, Mormon country and BYU. 2026, they're going to Utah and Texas Tech. 2027, they're going to Boulder. Um, 
which, to be fair, that's not going to be as bad of a travel schedule. Colorado, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Cincinnati. Uh, interesting. I mean, this conference doesn't look as tough when you remove Texas and Oklahoma. It looks like a very winnable schedule. I thought it was funny that people, when teasing headlines and writing stories about the schedule release, say, hey, Coach Prime and Colorado are coming here in 2025, naive enough to think that he's still going to be there in 2025. And Houston, which stinks... WVU is not going to get the return trip from Houston next year, which would make sense, although you're adding new teams to the conference. They're going back to Houston in 2025, and then Houston's coming here in 2026. And I would put substantial money on Dana Holgerson not being at Houston by the time 2026 comes around. So, you know, it's going to be a tough travel schedule. I think this is going to be a competitive schedule. You know, the Mountaineers are better off for being in the Big 12, but there are going to be some lengthy road trips that come down the wire here in the next couple of years. It's the downside of being the easternmost team in a conference that is the most represented in the middle part of the country. So, All four time zones represented in this conference. Now. Yeah, it's going to be nuts seeing uh, WVU kicking off at 10 o'clock against Arizona <laughs> in a few years. And but, what used to be Pac-12 after dark, a little Big 10 or Big 12 after dark. Yeah, it, it, it's inherited that. I still hope that eventually that the Big 12 absorbs Oregon State and Washington State or something happens there because I think those two programs would be really well off in the Big 12 as well. I think they're quality conference members. I mean, Oregon State in football has been really good over the past few years. Washington State as well have contributed things. I mean, I'd like those two schools in the Big 12 at some point. I think they've earned that. If there's going to be a complete collapse of the Pac-12 or if they're going to poach the Mountain West or the American Athletic and try and rebuild the Pac-12 through that, but... I mean, I'd, I'd like to see Oregon State and Washington State at some point be added to the Big 12. But again, for the schedule-wise, it's uh, those those are going to be rough playing, again, 10 o'clock for WVU football. But that's, that's how well, it goes. It was, it was Brad Howe on Sportsline that said it's almost like for the old school people that grew up with these regional rivalries that you're pretty much just playing a season full of non-conference games. You know, because More or less. you're not playing Virginia Tech. You're not playing Penn State every year. You're not playing Pitt every year. Although I hope they keep those regional rivalries alive. I mean, you should hopefully end up playing Cincinnati every year, uh, which is your closest rival. But that's just kind of how it is. But, you know, you play the game, you get the Power 5 money, you get a chance to compete for a national championship legitimately every year, and that's just kind of the price you pay. Uh, so next year's schedule to reset. The home games are in conference are Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, UCF. All very winnable games, in my opinion. On the road, Arizona, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, and Cincinnati. I mean, this is a schedule that Neil Brown can absolutely use to save his job. So, you know, they've got a chance to get to bowl eligibility this Saturday against BYU. We've got nine hours of WVU game day coverage here on WEPM and WCST. And uh, more to talk about as the season comes to an end for WVU football. Uh, but, of course, more seasons coming into the end in the high school football ranks and potentially with Shepard as well. Another break to take. We'll get Parker's picks on the other side, wrap up the show for this Thursday preview, the Ernie McCook Show tonight. You're listening to Panhandle Sports Live on WEPM and WCST. Want to revisit an episode of Panhandle Sports Live? Follow the Panhandle News Network on Spotify today. Final segment of this Thursday edition of Panhandle Sports Live. And folks, it's time to give him his theme music. Yeah, well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Prove it, it's never fails. Never failed once. 
And shout out to Corey Seager. Got that second hit last night and pushed us over the edge for a perfect slate. We were able to get the Chase and Tatum over on points. Second most points scored in Boston Celtics history last night in the win over the Indiana Pacers as well. So we were able to hit Kyle Kuzma's over on points in the Wizards loss over the Hawks. He was able to score 25. Line was set. He looked good. Danny looked really good. They, 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 they have some really fun pieces. I'm excited for next season when hopefully they tank and get the top three pick in the draft. That's what they should do, but it's probably what they won't do. They won't do that. All right, Thursday Night Football tonight, we got the Steelers and the Titans. This screams Iowa and Minnesota football to me. So let's look and see what we have out of this lineup. My lock is going to be Deontay Johnson's over four and a half receptions. He was targeted 14 times in his return against the Jaguars last week. I think the targets stay high. Kenny Pickett is playing tonight. So I think Deontay Johnson is going to see a lot of the underneath stuff for this Pittsburgh offense. I think he's over four and a half receptions in this contest. I think Najee Harris is under 44 and a half yards rushing. I just think Najee is washed at this point, and he's proving it every single week. Makes me happy that I traded him away as early as I could in fantasy. So I'm going to take Najee Harris's under 44 and a half rushing yards. I'm going to take Will Levis's over on rushing yards. The line's at 10 and a half, so it's a small line to have, and he's a guy that can use his legs. I'm not saying that Will Levis is going to – strike lightning twice but i think he's able to get at least a first down in rushing tonight for the tennessee titans so deontay johnson's over on receptions Najee harris under on rushing and we have will levis over on his rushing tonight as tonight's picks breaking news from adam Schefter, by the way we didn't talk about this but there was a mountaineer traded at the nfl trade deadline rasul douglas going from the uh, the packers to the buffalo bills the bills put out their injury report uh, he's probably not going to play this week he did not practice today when they listed the reason for why he wasn't practicing they put quote just got here so I thought that was pretty funny. Anyways, coming up tonight, 95.9 The Big Dog will have another edition of the Ernie McCook Show. You're not going to want to miss this one because soon-to-be Hall of Famer and former Ramhead football coach Monty Cater will be joining us live from Captain Bender's Tavern. Again, that is at 7.30 on 95.9 The Big Dog. For Parker Stone, I've been Luke Wiggs. This has been Panhandle Sports Live. We'll talk to you tomorrow. CST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC.